Welcome to the Connected Mom Podcast, where we desire to deepen your connection with God, help you empathically connect with other moms, and more intentionally connect with your child. I'm Becky Harling, your host, and I have with me today my amazing co-host, Sarah Wildman. Sarah and I bring two different perspectives to motherhood because I'm a grandmother with 14 grandkids, and Sarah's right in the thick of raising two beautiful little boys, Charles and Edward. And today we have with us an amazing guest, Carol Kent. Carol and I have been friends for about 20 years, and Carol is so accomplished. And so listen to her bio, would you? She is a best-selling author, an international speaker for conferences. She's the executive director for the Speak Up Conference, which is an event committed to help people increase their writing and speaking skills. And I have to say, it's the best writing conference I've ever been to. And then she and her husband, Gene, also co-founded a nonprofit called Speak Up for Hope. Carol holds a master's degree in communication arts and a bachelor's degree in speech education. She's trained speakers from all over the world. She's been a keynote speaker for such prestigious events as Women of Joy, Women of Faith, Extraordinary Women. She's written 25 books, and some of them are bestsellers, like When I Lay My Isaac Down and He Holds My Hand. And we're going to be talking about both of those today. And on top of that, I just have to share this. Carol is everyone's best cheerleader. I have never met a friend who consistently cheers for others. I love her to death. Welcome, Carol Kent. Becky, so good to be with you and Sarah as well. Wow, you just blew me away with that introduction because that's way better than I am. But thank you, girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) you're amazing most of us only hope to become like you when we grow up and today we're going to be talking about mom guilt does that hit any of us sarah (laughs) no no becky i'm i'm really just asking any questions for a friend i've just never had any of this happen It starts from pregnancy, right? I mean, the yeah. the amount of thoughts that can hit, you know, as this baby's forming and then they're born and do you breastfeed a bottle feed? And I mean, the mom guilt, it's from the beginning. And so we are delighted to have your perspective, Carol, because we really hope that our listeners will be encouraged by this podcast. Well, so we're glad to have you. Thank you, So Carol, tell us your story. Well, Becky, I got married to Jean Kent right after I graduated from college, and we didn't have two dimes to rub together, but we had love. And five years later, I gave birth to Jason Paul Kent. We call him JP. And he was a delight to raise. He had a sparkle in his eye. In one of his early pictures, he's in a sailor suit, and he did grow up to be in the Navy. Well, he made his parents proud. He was in the National Honor Society. And he came home from a Christian camp after a couple of weeks out in your part of the country, Becky, Colorado. And he said, Mom and Dad, I really believe that God wants me to serve in military and maybe even in political leadership. And I believe the best place I could get equipped to do that would be at the U.S. Naval Academy. 
Well, he finally received the appointment to Annapolis, and we were there in May of 1997 when on national television, all of those midshipmen tossed their hats in the air, and we celebrated our young son's accomplishments. Well, from there, he went to Orlando, Florida, where he was in nuclear engineering school. He joined a great church that had about 300 young adults in a mm. Bible study every week, and there were women in that Bible study, and you can guess what happened. <laughs> Our boy fell in love. And uh, we got a call when we were out in Denver, and it was a, a short voicemail. Mom and Dad, some things are coming down. We have to talk. Well, it's at a moment like that. You kind of wish your child would add two or three more sentences about what is coming down. And he told us his orders had changed. He had to be at Surface Warfare Officers School in Newport, Rhode Island on September 8th. And he and this young woman he had married, he wanted to marry, who had been through a very painful divorce and had two little girls, three years old and six years old, and they wanted to get married right away. Well, we mm -hmm. finally asked if they would be willing to wait three weeks to be married in our then hometown of Port Huron, Michigan, with the accountability of family and friends around them, and they agreed. And a week and a half later, April came into our lives. And behind them in came six-year-old Chelsea and three-year-old Hannah. And we fell in love with them immediately. Well, we had a beautiful wedding on a picture-perfect day. And we were looking forward to seeing this young family thrive. But there were multiple allegations of abuse involving the biological father of the girls. And it appeared that he was going to get unsupervised visitation. And in retrospect, we began to see our son unravel mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Mm -hmm. And Sarah and Becky, one year into their marriage, we received a middle-of-the-night phone call telling mm -hmm. us our son had been arrested for the murder of his wife's first husband. Mm -hmm. Talk about shock. I felt nausea sweep over me. I tried to get out of bed, but my legs wouldn't hold my weight. Uh, we eventually went through two and a half years and seven postponements of his trial, and he was eventually convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. So my life went from being a, a Christian author and speaker who was telling everybody else how they could be the great godly woman. I had just published a book called Becoming a, Wom a Woman of Influence on how Jesus mm. modeled and demonstrated how we could live that out. And suddenly I was the mother of a murderer. Talk about guilt. You launched the show with that topic, but I felt it to the core. Hmm. I can't imagine, Carol. <laughs> I just simply no. can't. You know, and yet as as moms, we know somewhere in our head that we can't take responsibility for every decision our child makes. And yes. yet at a moment like that, Satan also knows our vulnerability to guilt and shame and can really dump it on. Oh, can he ever? And, you know, I, I started to journal 
at that point in my life, Becky, because I felt like my eyes were blurring on the page when I would try to read scripture. I could not mm. make sense out of this horrific thing that had happened. And, uh, and then the enemy came at me. And he started by saying, if you had been a more involved mother, this would not mm. have happened. You know, putting the guilt on me. Or if you had read your Bible more consistently, if you had prayed more fervently, this would not have happened. And then I'm a firstborn of six preacher's kids. So I've been a multitasker for most of my life. If you want a job to get done, ask Carol Kent. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I was immobilized. I, I just felt like I could hardly keep one thought in my head at a time. And then the enemy shot this little uh, kind of a guilt arrow at me. If you had been less busy, you could have stopped this thing before it ever happened. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us as moms are so tempted to take on that huge burden of guilt that really can cross over into shame, if we're honest. Uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're really, you know, accepting the fact that this must be my fault and and this is so excruciatingly embarrassing. How can I ever face the public again? And so I was going through all of that because uh, Gene, my husband, had quit his job in the life insurance business one year before Jason's arrest to go on the road full-time with me in ministry. Um, it was mm. just too hard to do it alone anymore. And so working full-time in ministry was our only income. And now we had to hire an attorney for our son's defense. And I, I didn't even know how to think straight, much less figure out if I could stand on a platform and tell other moms that God is faithful when at that moment it didn't feel like he had been very faithful to me. Hmm. You know, Carol, listening to your story, it feels like, well, of course it wasn't her fault. You know, we can give you so much grace, but you described those feelings. And I was thinking about the difference between guilt and shame, right? Yes. And how and how yes. the enemy twists that. Would Would you speak about that a little bit? Because it's like, we know as moms, we're entrusted with this beautiful yes. gift, right? Mm -hmm. And and there's a responsibility there, right? Yes. We should hold that very strongly. But mm -hmm. there's like this really subtle pivot to shame. So could you talk a, a little bit about the difference as believers of what that looks like for us? When we shift from guilt to shame, we really are looking at that perception of having done something that was dishonorable. We put that on ourselves or immoral or improper, feeling like if we had made other choices, this would not have happened. And I think especially with our kids, we are so tempted to fall into that and especially adult children, because we've done the job mm -hmm. of raising our young children to the best of our ability. And, and our son was one of those kids who went on missions trips with his youth group. He had never been in trouble with the law. We didn't even have to give him a curfew. He went to bed early because he knew he'd have to <laughs> go to school and get those papers turned in the next day. So he had been a very easy to raise child, uh, pretty obedient. I don't mean he was perfect, but he certainly did not cause us any kind of apprehension or concern by bad choices in his high school years. 
And I, I started to realize, too, how the enemy would have played on his psyche. You know, this kid who always wanted to do the right thing, and now it appeared mm -hmm. to him that with his first assignment, which was going to be out of the continental USA, a, a trip to Hawaii with the Navy, um, that would mean six-week visits with the biological father of a man he didn't trust with these two vulnerable mm. little girls. And I just see how the enemy is so good at shifting our thinking to think we're the only people who can provide protection. And uh, I, I remember my son saying, I began to make an idol out of my own ability to protect my children instead mm. of trusting God alone. And, you know, we can say that as moms, too. Maybe, you know, we have prided ourselves on being this good mother who raised great kids and then they make this bad choice and then we put it on ourselves that it's all our fault. And uh, Jason would say to you today, he made the worst choice he possibly could have made, not only for the family of the deceased and the pain it caused their, their family, but for his own wife and his own children, his parents and his extended family. And so, you know, once something like this has happened, it can't be undone. And Sarah and Becky, I will never forget the first time I saw my son after he was arrested. Gene mm. uh, left immediately to help April and the girls move from where they were with the Navy in Panama City to Orlando, where Jason was now incarcerated. And I was at home pulling the last of the finances together for what felt like buying a, a home for the legal expenses. And the phone rang, and it was a digitized call asking me if I would accept a collect call from the jail. And when I accepted that phone call, it was my boy, and he was sobbing. He said, Mom, I've just been jumped by 10 inmates. They were kicking me and kicking me in the head. He said, my two front teeth have been broken off. I've been kicked in the eyes. I have a cut in my ear. He, they stole all my stuff, Mom. But after the beating, when the corrections officers came to me, they took me back to the faith-based area of the jail. And I could hear him choke back a sob. And then he said, and mom, those men were like Jesus. He said, they washed my wounds. They brought me a clean t-shirt. Mm. And one by one, they, they prayed over me. And they brought me writing paper and a pen. He said, mom, they were just like Jesus. And Becky and Sarah, automatically, there was a cutoff after 15 minutes, and that was as far as he could get. Uh -huh. And I heard this deep, guttural wail come out of the depths of my being. Uh -huh. It was such an anguish that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And I just remember lifting my hands palm side up. I said, God, I cannot do this journey. I cannot watch my son suffer like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I can't do this. And the next day I got on the, the plane and I flew to Florida. Gene had already had his allowable 15 minute visit with our son. And so he was not allowed to go with me. And I waited a long time. When you have an incarcerated loved one, you wait in lines a long time mm -hmm. to get the security, often up to two hours. And I was in the area where I knew I would see him behind a plastic shield. And I heard a shuffle and I was used to seeing him in uniforms and with medals. And he was in jailhouse blues. He had on uh, 
those handcuffs attached to a waist chain, ankle chains with Mm. shackles on. And that's why he could only take two or three steps at a time. And then when he sat down, his face was just covered with scabs from the beating. And I saw those Mm. broken off front teeth. Both eyes were fully bloodshot. And uh, there was a corrections officer behind him listening to everything we said. And finally, our eyes locked. And I just said, Jason Paul Kent, there is nothing you could ever do that would stop my unconditional love for you, son. Your dad and I are Mm. here for you. And Becky and Sarah, that began our long journey to what we call our new kind of normal. And what we learned about dealing with shame and with guilt is so important because we found when we started talking out loud about our journey with vulnerability, it tore down walls. And I really want to say to every mom out there, when you're dealing with the tough stuff and it's embarrassing and it's hard and your son might not have committed a heinous crime like mine did, but maybe they've done some pretty embarrassing things or even illegal things that you're ashamed of, start as, as it's appropriate and with trustworthy people, begin to share out loud, probably in a small group, and, and share what you're going with, how you feel. Be quick to say, I need prayer. And then as women come together, there is this bond that is so precious. And I have to tell you, I like the broken me better than the old professional me. Because now I weep with those who weep. Now I feel the pain of that mom who's in agony over her child's wrong choices. And I I just sense that in my brokenness, there is more of a spiritual connection and spiritual power than I ever knew before I walked this unwanted journey. Yeah, I love that, Carol. I mean, part of why we chose the name the connected mom podcast is because we believe that moms need that connection and in what you just shared with us yeah satan comes at you with guilt Mm -hmm. and shame and you know you didn't do a good enough job and i i love how we really have to come to the place as moms where we are not almighty we can't do it all we can't always be there right And we can't always protect them from the silly things they do or from the horrible things they do. But I love the way you continued to connect with God. And then you talked about how you connected with other moms. And I, I just think I want our listeners to get that because it's so important. You weren't meant to do this journey of motherhood alone. It's too long of a journey. We need each other and we need to be each other's best cheerleaders, you know? And then Carol, I want you to talk about your connection with Jason now, because I've been at dinner with you and Jean and, you know, with our, both of our husbands and we've had such times of laughter together. (laughs) And, you know, in the middle of dinner, Jean will get a call from JP from, you know, prison and he'll say, Oh, just a second. I got to take this phone call. You know, it's my son. And what I see on Jean's face is pride in who his son is and who he's become. Mm -hmm. So talk about how you develop that connection. Well, I first want to say to anybody who's listening, 
who has been the victim of violent crime or knows someone who has, that we have such compassion for the family of the deceased. Mm. What happened was so horrible, so wrong, and it was against the laws of God and man. So just know my heart. I love you. I pray for you. I know the pain you're going through. But for those of you who have been on the other side, and you're the parents of those who've made those wrong choices, as God begins to help you to be able to breathe again, and that's what it's like, because in the beginning, you're going, breathe, do the next thing. You just feel like you are so overwhelmed. Look for the splashes of joy God can bring in the middle mm. of the journey. It is so important. Uh, we started getting cards from people all over the country, and most of them were sympathy cards, the kind you get when somebody dies. But oh. I know they don't have a greeting card line for, for you to send to parents of children who've been arrested for murder. They were doing the best they could. But oh. one of my friends started sending shoebox greeting cards, and they would say things like, brain cells come and brain cells go but fat cells live forever or <laughs> I just keep it covered with fat so it won't get scratched and Sarah and Becky I so needed that just that short little laughter that came out of me when I read those cards Aww. and I thought that's how we minister to each other and now Becky to get to answer your question about what's going on with JP today we have watched him ask for God's forgiveness for what he has done we mm -hmm. have watched him choose to realize I can't change what has happened, but I can use what's happened as a platform upon which I can give God glory. So we launched a nonprofit organization called speakupforhope.org and people who donate have helped us with getting Bibles, Bible studies, uh, chapel equipment, greeting cards for inmates to send to their families, games for the visitation areas, and all, like even fans. There's no air conditioning in the, the prisons in Florida that are run by the state. And it gets to over 100 degrees in those cells, especially on a day like today when we're taping. And so we have watched him be able to do good for others. And he has started mentoring men. He's taught Bible studies and he has taken over 800 men now through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University course, teaching them how to balance a checkbook and, and how to do their finances in a way that they can stay out of trouble if they have an end of sentence date. And I'm watching him have such joy in the process of helping others. And there, there are still bad days of grieving, but oh, there are some good days of praising God for what he is doing. And I, I call Jason my, my missionary on the inside. And yeah. I am watching him now in his maturity. He was 25 when his crime was committed. He had just barely turned 25. And he is 47 now. So he is mature enough to look at some of these young guys, get to know them who've just gotten into prison after their first or second offense. And he is now targeting them. And at times he'll, he'll start with athletics because guys like to do athletics and uh, he will organize competitions for them and anything he can do to build relationships for the purpose of sharing Jesus with them. And I can honestly say 
that even if Jason is never allowed to walk in freedom in this lifetime, I know that God is using his life uh, with purpose, with meaning, and that mm. he is bringing other men to Christ. I love that. Wow. Carol, just to backtrack just a little bit, I am thinking about those moms that might be in a really discouraging moment right now. You know, they're, mm -hmm. maybe their kids have made those choices she doesn't agree with, heavy stuff, really poor choices. Yeah. I think sometimes I'm tempted to listen to your story and think, she just bounced back. I mean, it was <laughs> the next day, the next day <laughs> <No>. she was, <laughs> she was, because I'm an achiever too. I'm like, she just bounced back. She wrote that book about Isaac. I mean, she, but you know, what, what was that in between time? What did, what did God take you through? And how could that encourage moms who are in just the thick of the, oh. maybe the grief of it, right? And how did you get to the place where you could write a book and encourage and others? And the answer is slowly and very There we go. It, there we go. I think was, that's important. Yes. It was five years before I could actually okay. begin to write about this journey. And mm -hmm. because we went through two and a half years and seven postponements of the trial, I was not allowed to speak publicly about what had happened until after the trial because anything could have been recorded and used against our son in some way. And, you know, as I look at that, I see it as God's mercy because I was so wounded. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was never a weepy kind of person. And suddenly I, it felt like I had kidneys next to my eyeballs. I just would, something would trigger it. I would walk by a closet and see a uniform and that would trigger a tear. I would hear JP's favorite song on the radio and that would trigger tears. And then um, as women started coming to me who had watched Dateline NBC, where our story was all over the country, uh, they they would start contacting us through my website, and they were desperate for help. And so it was one of those things where one day at a time, I first started sharing with individuals long before I shared from a platform. And so five years then had passed before I shared in this book, but after the trial, the first speaking engagement where I ever shared my journey. So keep in mind, we've had almost three years pass by this time. I brokenly shared it and I didn't even know if I could get through it because uh, mm. it was so emotional yet, but uh, I was able to do so. And I was sitting out in the lobby greeting some people and I had written a lot of books before this happened. So I was signing a few books and a woman came up to the table and she was all hunched over and she could barely look at me with eye contact. She said, my, my husband's been incarcerated for the last 18 years and nobody knows. She said, he's getting out in one month. I said, is he coming home to live with you? She said, yes, we're going to try to make a go of it. And then she stood to her full posture and with confidence, she said, Today, you've given me the courage to start telling my story. I'm going to quit hiding in false shame and false guilt, and I'm going to tell other women how they can hold on to hope like you've helped me. Thank you. Well, behind her, there were three young adult women holding hands. I guess them to be in their mid to late 20s. 
And one spoke up and she said, Carol, we're sisters. We were seated out in the audience and we heard your story. And afterwards we could hardly move. You see, all three of us were repeatedly sexually abused by our father during our growing up years and we have never told the secret. But after we heard you speak, we've decided we're going to get Christian counseling. And then as God opens doors for us to share our story of survival and faith and hope with other victims of abuse, we are going to be honest and open about that. Thank you for giving us the courage to do that. And you know, I started to realize once again that once we start being open, we start to shed that feeling of guilt and shame because we realize in our honesty, in that vulnerability, there is this God confidence we can get because we realize mm. it's only him who can give us the courage to share our story and to be real about the fact, yes, I felt like a failure. Yes, I felt like I had a tattoo over my forehead that said mother of a murderer. But yes, I have found hope because of Jesus and in the brokenness, he makes a way for us to hold his hand and get us through the tough stuff. And that has been such an important lesson for me. Um, I had taught a Bible study fellowship class in my hometown when we lived in, in Port Huron, Michigan. And one of the women in that study came up to me after having heard the story. She said this, Carol, I used to think you were perfect, but now I think we could be friends. When we look all polished and put together, and when we put on the plastic smile like everything's fine, or we're gritting our teeth saying, well, praise the Lord, when everything happens, <laughs> nobody feels like they can approach us. But when we're real, and when, when all those walls come down and we just share out of our brokenness, we're friends. There, there is this sense of intimacy that we have with each other. And we are reminded that together we can grieve for one another. We can celebrate when God does a good thing. And I want to tell every mom out there right now, celebrate the small steps. When something little is a victory for you, celebrate that. Everything might not be perfect yet, but when that kid who's been making wrong choices makes a step in the right direction, say, thank you, Lord, this is a good thing. And we need just to share it with each other and encourage one another. I love that, Carol. We are almost out of time, but man, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for you. And mamas out there, I, I really want to remind you, I just kind of want to do a little wrap up here with three things that Carol has brought home for us today. The first one is to keep that connection with other mamas. Listen, there, you know, in this day of social media, I often see posts, you know, after my favorite was after a woman had a baby and she was posting a picture of herself six weeks out in a size two. And I, <laughs> I, I was thinking, you know, okay, that's great, except every other mama out there is now really upset with you. And you probably yeah. used some 
kind of photo adapter. So we want to remind you, there is no such thing as a perfect mom. I mean, if you need testimonials from my kids, we laugh about it now, but they'll be happy to provide them, right? We didn't do it all perfectly. None of us are going to. And we need each other in this journey. And, and then uh, Carol's commitment to stay connected to God. Uh, Carol has shared that someday she didn't feel like she could read a whole chapter of the Bible. Mm. You know what? That's okay. Read one verse and or listen to it on an app but and pray and just say, Lord, I don't feel your presence, but I need you now more than ever. So stay with me. And then the, the third principle that I think Carol brought out so beautifully is never give up on hope. Because you don't know the end of the story. And yes, this isn't the life that Carol would have chosen for JP. However, God is using him in such a powerful way inside mm. prison walls. And so we want to encourage you today to stay in the journey and to stay connected. And Carol, we're going to be putting in the show notes two of my personal favorite books of Carol's. Now I lay down my Isaac because I'll tell you what, mamas, no matter where you are in the journey, at some point, God's going to call you to the Isaac altar where you have to say, Lord, this is not my plan, but I surrender my child to you. And the second one is he holds my hand. This is an amazing devotional. I actually bought it for somebody very close to me, um, maybe three or four years ago now. And she still writes me and says, hey, I'm hanging out with Carol this morning. <laughs> you know, and you have been a oh. lifeline to her, Carol, because of her journey. And so yeah. we want you to get those books in the show notes. We'll be putting places where people can buy your books, Carol, how they can connect with you. And, you know, I want to ask you to just close us out in prayer. Would you pray specifically for the mamas out there who don't feel like they can go on? I would love to. Thank you so much. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we've been able to uh, have today, just girlfriends getting together, talking mm -hmm. about some of the tough stuff of being a mother. And Lord, uh, neither Becky nor Sarah or I have done it perfectly. And sometimes we're so tempted to take on guilt, false guilt, and then even move into shame, false shame for some of the wrong choices our children are making. But Lord, we pray that we would tune our ear to your word. Help us to hear you say today, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I won't ever walk away from you. And Lord, we know you love us so much. We're engraved on the palm of your hand. And I pray for the mom right now who is struggling with either a young child or maybe a teenager or even an adult child who is making repeated wrong choices. I pray that you would give her the wisdom to know when to speak up and when to be silent, when to mm -hmm. seek professional help or Christian counseling, and when to wait on your voice as she listens to your word. And Lord, above all, I pray that we would apply scripture to our lives, that we would pray without ceasing for our children, and that we would leave the results in your hands. And Lord, as I have prayed so often for my son, I pray, Lord, have mercy 
thy will be done. And Lord, we believe you have heard us today. I ask that you would wrap your arms around every mama listening to us today and let her know how special she is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you, Carol, for being with us. And hey, friends, join us next time for the Connected Mom podcast, where we're having real conversations about how to stay connected with God, your fellow moms, and your child. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, all you moms out there, this is Becky Harling, and I love creating resources to help you connect more empathically with your child. One of those resources is a book that I wrote called How to Listen So Your Kids Will Talk. One of the greatest skills you can cultivate, really enhance that connection with your child is the skill of listening. So how well do you really listen? This book is loaded with practical ideas to get your kids talking and to help you as you listen. You can buy it wherever Christian books are sold. You can order it on Amazon or anywhere else. So I hope you'll get a copy of the book and put the work into listening to your child.